morning, good morning. Welcome again to Metro Praise International. Who's excited to be at church this morning? Come on. We welcome you, all of our first-time visitors. Thank you for joining us. Please come back on behalf of the leadership here. We are so thankful that you came to uh, experience God with us here at Metro Praise. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Uh, and then our Elevate, come on, Elevate, what, what? Fridays at 7 p.m., they meet every week, 11 to 18 years old. So if you know any uh, teenagers in that age group, please bring them on by, invite them. It's a great place to be for teenagers on Friday night. Our an announcement for the next couple months is going to be our summer retreat, our Devil's Lake retreat. Don't get frightened by the name. It's just what they call it there in Baraboo, Wisconsin. It's a great heavenly place. And when we show up, we bring Jesus. So it's Jesus' like when we're there. But it's going to be Friday, July 31st through Saturday, August 1st. It's just over the weekend, Friday, Saturday. Mark it in your calendars. We want to all go together as a big, happy church family. It's $75 per person, or it's $175 per family for everybody to be in one whole room. It includes your room and the food for $175 for a whole family to be in one hotel room and enjoy all the meals that we have out there. And it's just going to be a great time, swimming, volleyball, anything that you could do in an open field, rock climbing, boulder climbing, all that fun stuff. So please, we're all excited. Mark that in your calendar, calendar and join us in July. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. We strive to follow that as believers here with all of our heart because we know that that's the life that God wants us to live. Our, our discipleship strategy has three steps. It's connect, mentor, and send. And our first step of connecting is very simple. The way we want to connect you to Jesus, connect you to the church, is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. On the back of your handouts, you can see the life group schedule that we have going on for this quarter. Please find a place to belong. There are so many different options. Uh, places to go, types of life groups from King's Kids to evangelism, single moms, married groups. We are a church that wants to meet your needs and see you plugged in, connect to Jesus and connect to the church through great friendships. And this is our snapshot of what's happening just this week. We have Wednesday, our King's Kids are getting together, infant to 11 years old. They meet at the church every Wednesday at 6.30 and we have Roller Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club. So we're really excited to be able to disciple our children. And then Friday, we have two adult Bible studies that meet at the same time, different locations. One at the Govea's house and the other one is at the Walker's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. If you're in that age group, you have got to be at a life group on Fridays. It will change your life. And then every Saturday, we go out evangelizing, telling people about Jesus on the streets. And so if you've never done that, we want to really encourage you to do that. It will strengthen you in your faith, and you will become so bold and confident in what God has called you to do in sharing Jesus with others. That's for all ages. 5 p.m., meet here every Saturday, and we go out and spread the love. And then we want to mentor you. That's step two of our discipleship strategy. And so we want to take you through our 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through this. And once you graduate from the 101, you'll go into the 201. Disciples that make disciples. This is our leadership training class where we equip you to be a leader in the church. And then we want to send you out to go tell other people about Jesus. And our goal at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples. Somebody say 100,000. Sounds like a lot, but God can use us to do it. 100,000 disciples in Chicago. 
with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. It's the power of God, it's the spirit of God that's going to use us to win Chicago and the nations for him. How many of you guys want to see the gospel preached to the ends of the earth? It's going to take you and I. Look to your neighbor say, it's going to take you. Look to your other neighbor and say, it's going to take you too. We're all in this together. Like my daughter used to say, we want to do this together. So we want to win the world together for Jesus. How many of you guys excited to learn about offerings this morning? You can look up at the screen. We're in the Disciples Giving Book, Section 2, all about offerings. Today is Lesson 5. Offerings should be given cheerfully. How many cheerful givers do I have? Let's turn um, to our Bibles, 2 Corinthians 9-7. That will be the scripture verse that we will be reading, 2 Corinthians 9-7. The offering is a gift to God after our tithe. So we all know that the tithe is 10% of our total income, and the offering is an amount that the Lord has given to you to give uh, cheerfully. Let's read in 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the secret, cheerful. Let's learn three main points from that verse. Number one, from the heart. Offerings should be given from the heart and not the manipulation of man. We're not here manipulating anybody. One should pray and ask God to speak to their heart about giving what is best for their life and the kingdom of God. Remember, this is a partnership between you and Jesus. Number two, not forced. Offerings are between you and God, so you should never feel pressured to give. Your offerings must come from the joy of being blessed by God to be a blessing. Number three, cheerful giver. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because cheerful givers truly understand that they are sharing in the work of God upon the earth. We should enjoy giving God our offerings just as, just as much and more than we enjoy spending our money on clothes, rent, cars, hobbies, or vacation. The reason why we should enjoy giving more to God is because God is calling us to co-labor with him. And everything that we give to the church, everything that we do to further God's kingdom will last for all of eternity. Everything else we spend our money on will remain here. It doesn't have a lasting value. And that's why we should be cheerful and excited to give God our best. Here's a summary. Cheerfully give your offerings from a loving heart of generosity. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, never give under pressure or to please man. You are doing this for the Lord. And number three, give generous offerings to God from a cheerful heart. Let's recite this confession over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up with me this morning as we prepare to give God our best, our tithes, and offering. Again, at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income. So if we've received $100, 10% would be $10. That belongs to the Lord no matter what. And our missions uh, and building offerings is what we give after our tithe. And that's where we designate it. Right now, we are currently in a building fund, and we thank 
all of you guys for your generosity. We thank you so much for partnering with us to see what God wants to do in Chicago. And we are almost there to get the 8000 that we need for our new 15-passenger van. So keep on giving. We're believing that we're going to get that taken care of this month. And we just thank you again for partnering with us. We also have two other options to uh, for giving to make it convenient for you. You can give online your offerings. And we also have credit card option available for you in the back. You can see myself or Pastor Griselda for your convenience if that would make it easier for you. Let's recite this scripture together. Luke 6.38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives and all that you continue to do. And this morning here at MPI, we give you our best. We give you our tithe and our offering to further your kingdom. We thank you that you've allowed us this ability to be co-laborers with you. We do it joyfully out of a generous and cheerful heart. Bless the gift and the giver. Prosper your people, God, and help us to win Chicago and the nations for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give this morning and thank you so much for your generosity. Amen. How many are happy it's Mother's Day? Make some noise for the mamas. Woo! Don't we love our mamas? We're going to give our mothers a beautiful gift today. As we get ready to honor our mothers, thank you for coming. We're going to have a special spoken word slash prayer from one of our outstanding young people. Ulysses, would you come and give, up, uh, give him a warm welcome as he comes, as he gives a spoken word. To all the mamas. What's up, everyone? <clears throat> I love poetry, and this is a beautiful poem by Mary Fairchild. <clears throat> My mom, I love her, and that's why I pray, not just today on this Mother's Day. But with each remembrance of the love she's expressed, my thankfulness to the Lord I've professed. For my life began in a warm and safe place, then grew more secure in mom's tender embrace. When I was little, she taught me to crawl, then to walk and run and get up when I fall. Nurtured and cared for, she raised me to stand, lifted, supported by her loving hand. She believed in me, inspired me to dream. Nothing was impossible for me, it seemed. It was her example that appointed the way to the life in Christ I know today. My mom, I love her on this Mother's Day. She's the reason I'm taking this moment to pray. My mom, I love her. Let her know, dear Lord, please bless her with the most abundant reward. Amen. Amen. Good job. Love you, my love brother. You Thank you. Let's have all of our mothers stand up, and our ushers are going to give you a special gift. Now, can we give it up for our mothers as they stand up right now? 
Just keep standing until we get you your special gift. They're going to start handing it out to you. Moms, we love you so much. We wouldn't be here without a mother. And you know what? Moms are the best because they love us at our worst. They love us with boogies in our noses. They care for us. They feed us. And so, moms, we just want to say thank you with this gift cup today. And we hope that as you're getting it, you can grab a seat. But uh, as you get this gift from us today, I hope that your family is going to bless you, take you out, spoil you. Ish, are you cooking for your wife today? You better. <laughs> you start making it up right now if you have to. Giordano's delivery. Mama ain't cooking. Set her free. Mothers, as you're getting that gift and grabbing a seat, I just want you to open up your Bibles to Proverbs 31. Everyone join with me. Proverbs 31 is a wonderful description of the kind of mother all mothers should hope to be. But as we're turning here, sometimes our mothers struggle, have hardships themselves, and can be the hardest on themselves. And so I want to encourage you today, Mother, that Proverbs 31 isn't here to make you feel, feel bad that you don't do enough. It's here to encourage you that with God, He's always enough. One of the biggest things I always hear from my wife as a mother, she comes to me and says, I don't know if I'm doing enough. Sometimes I feel like I can do more. I could be more patient. I could be more loving. And when you hear that from a mother, mothers, you know what I'm talking about. But here, when, when I hear that as a husband, as a father, it just melts my heart because mothers always just want to give more. You know, when I was in juvenile jail, you know who always came to see their kids? wasn't the fathers, maybe every now and then, but it was always the mothers. You know, at the funerals, the ones that we see take it the hardest, it's always the mothers. You know who prayed me into the kingdom of God? was my mother. I came to know the Lord at her kitchen table. And it's not that fathers don't love. It's not that fathers don't care. We have a different role. We have things that we have to do as well. But I would dare to say this, because Father's Day is coming up, and we're going to give out some steaks. So fathers, everybody come back. Receive your porterloin as it comes to you. And we'll put a screwdriver on top of it, so you will get a screwdriver and a T-bone steak. I'm just kidding. But you'll never know, so come and find out. But I can just say this, that even as much as I love my children and lay down my life for them, I can, I can see a unique love in my wife's life. And I believe that's because they carry the child for nine months, and God made their body and the motions literally to become knit with that child. And so, mothers, we just want to encourage you. God is always enough in you if you don't feel like you're enough or have enough to do enough. God is always enough. Amen. So let's just read this and encourage our mothers today and any single ladies in here. Don't have children until you get married, okay? But this is for you. And if you're a single mom, we love you too. How many love single moms? Amen. We love single moms. We don't encourage to become a single mom. But if you're a single mom, God's got your back. Can I hear an amen? My mother was a single mother with three kids. And then God gave her a new husband and a new life. And I became the golden child from that marriage. Amen. I'm so happy that she didn't give up pressing on. Amen. And I always got to rub that in my brother's you know, face and sister's face. Tell them I'm the favorite. I'm the best. That's okay. Anyways, these are the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance. His mother taught him. So get this right here. His mother taught him this. Okay. Now I'll just scroll down a little bit because we don't have time to get all into the uh, don't drink wine and do all that stuff. But let's just get here 
to what his mother taught him. Now, I believe his mother taught him what to look for in a wife. So this is coming from a woman's heart. As a matter of fact, I want to get my baby mama to come up and read this. Where is Nancy Matsaris? Is she here? Let's give it up for my baby mama. You've already done so much today. Let me just tell you what my wife does on any given Sunday. She gets up at 5.30 in the morning to get our four children ready, herself ready, to come to church. Do you know what time I get up in the morning? I got up around 7.30, 7.45. We, nobody's laughing now. This is supposed to be your dad, not me. But I'm going to make you look good. I'm going to look bad. You're going to look good. And I, and I need her to help wake me up. She actually sends the kids in multiple rounds to come get me up. So I'm sorry if I disappoint you as the pastor. You wish I would be getting up at 5.30 in the morning fasting and praying for you. But, but there's these three and four wake-up calls. Mom said it's time to get up. I'm up. Tell her I'm up. Tell her I'm good. And then like a little bit later, Mom said it's time to get up. And then, and then it's always Lucas is the last one to come because he can't open the door and he bangs the door. <laughs> I'm up, Lucas. I'm up. So anyway, she gets up at 5.30 every morning, gets the breakfast ready. Uh, but you do. Most, most Oh, I'm sorry. Sunday mornings. Gets the breakfast ready. Gets the kids ready. Gets herself ready. Comes smiling. And this is where I believe she can read for all moms today. It's not always easy, but you can do it by God's grace. Amen. Would you read this for us? Amen. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Come on, give yourselves up. Give yourselves a hand clap. Mamas, you guys are awesome. I'm going to ask one of our special mamas to come up because we do want to honor our single moms today. How many know single moms need encouragement? 
Amen. We love our single moms. We love them so much. We started a life group just for them. And some of the testimonies that we've heard from our single moms group, I just heard it the other day, is a dear sister came to me and she said, I was a part of a great church and they had a mother's group there, but uh, most of the time it centered around them with their husbands and in this ideal household. And she said, even at that group, sometimes I felt left out. I felt that people didn't understand me because I don't have a husband to help me set up the crib. I don't have the same kind of jokes to talk about between changing diapers and the roles of the house. And so when she told me that, she then looked at me with almost tears in her eyes. She said, but when I came to Metro Praise and there was a single moms group, I felt for the first time like I belonged and that there was a place just for me. Nobody was judging me. Nobody was holding it against me. Everybody was supportive. No one had to get into my business. They just loved me and treated me well. And you know why? That's because of Pastor Lauren and Cynthia, one of our elders who do that. So can we give it up for them? Amen. You are a mother. You're not done yet. She's helping mothers. Would you just share an encouraging word to the single mothers today so they know they're not left out? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this ministry is so near and dear to my heart, and I have seen some moms come so broken, and they left. Some of them leave married, but the more, most important thing is they leave restored, and they leave healed of their life, and it's not like we're a support group for single moms. That's what I always tell them. This is not a support group. We're not sitting around the table saying, like, hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a single mom. No, we're not here to do that. We're here to help you to understand that you have purpose. It doesn't matter your past mistakes. I used to be a single mom. God has done an amazing work in my life, bringing me the man of my dreams and more children after. And even that is not the goal. It really is to understand who you are in Christ, and he will just make your path straight and give you so much more than you can even imagine. So if you're a single mom, be encouraged. Come be a part of our single moms group and just be all that God God has for you. Amen. Every other Sunday, every other Sunday, somebody get Cynthia rolled down for me, please, because I want her to testify about losing her mom. Sometimes we lose our moms, and when we come to a service like this, we feel a great loss. And I remember Cynthia Rodon coming to the church with her mother for a few years, and then her mother passed. And I had to do the funeral. Yes, it was sad, but there was a point of joy in that funeral. There was a point of celebration in that time. And the reason was her mother came to know Jesus later on in her life. And so there may be some of you here today where you say, it's painful for me to think about my mother. Maybe you're estranged from your mother. Maybe things have gone wrong. Maybe she doesn't serve God and Christianity has been a part of that. I know that to be true for some in this church. Or you may have lost your mother and you know that you'll never see her again. But I want you to be encouraged today that God can even fill the gaps of your heart that you thought only your mother can do. God is the one who created your mother, and God can do what your mother was doing in your heart. Hello, somebody. Can I tell you that? Is that real? Well, let me just ask you like this. Do you know where to buy Mama's Love at the grocery store for 99 cents a pound? Can you go and buy love from the mama? Can you go get Mama's Love? You can't. But Mama would give that love, right? Well, where did Mama's Love come from? It came from the Lord. Cynthia Rodon, would you just come up here and share about what it was like to lose your mom and yet God comfort you to show you he's always there? Hi. Um, what it was like, like to lose my mom, 
it was very hard. Six months before that, I had found the Lord. So thank goodness for that. And um, what can you say about that? Um, you lose them. But what I can say is this. Three months before she passed, she came here. She was a Catholic worshiping idols. And I had a strong talk with her. And the next Sunday, she ran up here, which was Easter Sunday. She got saved. So actually, she got saved three months before she passed. So, so, so you know, that's, that's the, en the, the ending of that blessing. But it was very hard. Like, my, she was my everything. She was my best friend. I mean, my seat, my front seat was her seat, you know. And so it really changed everything in my life. And so many other things that happened after that. Oh, my gosh. It was like the book of Job for me. But Metro Praise is my witness that though everything was dark at that moment, I used to see one little light. And I said, I know you're with me, God. And I walked every day, and that light got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how he pulled me out of that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I forgot my mom. But... You know, I will see her again forever, forever. We will never part again. And that's a blessing. So out of that deep sorrow, first of all, I had Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what, what I would have done if I wouldn't have. Can you imagine? Like, there's no instruction when you lose someone. That's your mom. You know, that's your only mom. I will never have another mom. So that was really hard to think about and to adapt to but the end result is is that us here at metro praise we are here we are a family we are knitted around god's love and his understanding and his organization in our lives and that is important number one number two is that we need jesus marriage mama everything we need jesus and if anything goes bad man he's there he will never change and no matter deepest darkest place you can be in man he's always going to be there for you i have so many other testimonies you know where i it was <laughs> just so many you know but um god is good and he pulled me out of every one of them amen. praise god thank you so much amen thank you amen let's have our mother stand up one more time if you are next to your mother or your wife would you stand up with her place your hand on her shoulder as a sign of support. If a mother you see is standing by herself, stand next to her, please, so that she will know she's not alone in this service. And we're going to pray now for our mothers. Father, we thank you so much that our mothers are a gift from you. You have created them to love and to nurture and to care for us. We thank you for those that are here today that came out to celebrate you with their family. I pray that you bless them, you encourage them. Whatever strength they need in whatever area of life today that they're working in, God, I pray that your strength will be more than enough and sufficient for their needs. And, Lord, I also lift up the families that are represented here, the grandmothers, the aunts, all those in our life that we'll be seeing today. Lord, may we be a blessing to them as well. And, Lord, those who have lost their mothers or who are estranged from their mothers, would you encourage them today to let them know the love that you gave through their mother is still here through the power of the Holy Spirit, our great consolator, our great comforter. So, Lord, we thank you for Mother's Day and all that they do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Give it up one more time for our mamas.
Thank you for coming, mamas. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. We are in a sermon series called Fear Not. Everybody say, Fear Not. God is with you. Don't be afraid. Hashtag fear not. Another hashtag, fear free. How many want to be fear free? Amen. Today's sermon is going to help you to do that. We started it last week for the month of May, and we'll be continuing it all the way through this month. So make sure you catch up online if you've missed any message or get the notes, and you can read these things for yourself and check out the scriptures and be encouraged so that you don't get just dependent upon one day out of the week, but seven days out of the week you're being nourished and refreshed in the word. Everybody say, fear not. Thank you. Today's message in the series, Fear Not, is practicing peace. Look at your neighbor and say, you better practice peace. You've got to learn how to practice peace. Peace will not always come easy to you. Peace will not be served up on a silver platter to you. As a matter of fact, most of life will be trying to take away peace. And, and even people will try to take away your peace whether they know it or not. Your boss might have said, get ready for Monday because you're going to work your, your tail end off. And right now you're nervous about going into work on Monday. See, that could take away your peace. Or somebody Friday might have heard that there's cutbacks in their job. There you go. There's another opportunity for peace to be taken away. I just read some prayer requests on Facebook. People are going to the doctor. Some receiving their reports. Others are waiting to see if their, their report is going to be good. See, that can take away your peace. Finances, sickness, loss of life, what your friends or people think about. You know that a lot of people deal with anxiety over the fear of man, what people think about you. Some of you may be facing a, a disapproving family or a family that's never good enough, or you may be in a marriage relationship that's never good enough and you're not getting the approval that you need there. And, and teenagers, you may be facing peer pressure on your school campus where life is always coming against you. But I got some encouragement for every person today in a world full of trouble. Be of good cheer for Jesus. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He said, I, the peace I give you is not like the world. The peace I give you cannot be taken away. He has overcome the world. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. If you're ready for the word, say, I'm ready. Amen. 41 verse 10 of Isaiah, the prophet cried out, fear not, for I am with you. This is God speaking through this prophet. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you my righteous by my righteous right hand. God is here to uphold you, to help you, to strengthen you. You are not alone. Let us all get that in our hearts today. From the front row to the back row, you are not alone. God is with you. This is the same God that walked with Martin Luther King Jr. from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery as he preached, We Shall Overcome. Hallelujah, it's the same God that was with Paul and Silas in a Roman jail cell. After being beaten and having their backs laid open from the Roman whip, they sat there and praised God in the midst of their trials. Why? Because our present circumstances don't dictate our identity and they don't change who our God is. It doesn't matter what goes on all around me, what my friend thinks, what my neighbor thinks, what my family thinks. It only matters what God says. And he says, I'm with you. He says, I'm going to help you. Don't be discouraged. 
That's a choice that we make today. It's a choice to believe it or not believe it. I love what Joyce Meyer said. She said, you can believe in heaven or hell one way or the other. It's up to you, but you'll find out one day in the end it was true all along. You see, no one can force you on that fact today. It's uh, burning in your conscience if it's true. And if it's a neglect of your conscience, it's a hardening of your heart. And I'm pleading with you today, soften your heart. Hear this good news and believe it's true today. Believe it. It will transform your life to know that God is with you. Can I hear an amen? As we're looking into our series, we got these definitions. I'll go through them briefly because I went through them last week. When we're talking about fear, we all know what it is. We've all felt it before. We know what it's like to get nervous before a job interview, parents to worry for your children. We know what it's like to hear the reports of the news and the media and to get afraid sometimes. Like I said before, we'll hear these reports about Ebola breaking out, and then we'll get nervous, and we'll go and check the Internet. What are the symptoms of Ebola? And it will say, oh, if you got sweaty palms, you may have Ebola. If you have palpitation of your heart, you may have Ebola. And if your stomach aches, you may have it. And you'll go, oh, my palms are sweating. My heart is beating. My stomach is upset. Honey, I've got Ebola. Take me to the doctor. But how often do we do that? You may have just a typical cold and you'll go and look up your symptoms and before you know it, you'll have some type of deadly disease because we always think the worst. It's a part of our human nature to gravitate towards the negative. Have you ever noticed that some days, bad days rather, bad days are sometimes worse than good days are good? Meaning, let's say you have a seven-day work week. And seven days, uh, six days out of that work week, you're doing good. Everything's fine. Things are going good at home. But one bad day, one bad argument with your family, one acting up of the kids, one bad uh, thing that happens in the highway or with a coworker or something, and it will ruin your whole outlook on the week. Like a broken record, your mind will keep cycling back to that one thing. It will forget all the other six days when things went well and you drove in traffic and didn't feel like killing anybody. You'll forget about all the other times that you ate at restaurants and you didn't get sick. But this time of the food poisoning or losing your temper in traffic or the, the, ta- the conversation you had with Comcast Cable or something will just keep cycling over. Why is that? It's because we have a broken hard drive. Our brain is a part of a body that has been sentenced to death. And that brain is a part of a broken system. And God wants your mind to renew your brain and to change the way you think. He wants your soul to take control of your body. Look at your neighbor and say, get control, brother, of your soul, brother. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, soul, brother. Keep it in control, brother. Fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, or the like, whether the threat is real or not. And we're living in a time where more than any other time, perceived fears known as anxiety are threatening the peace of many people's lives. And if you're here today and you've dealt with depressing or anxious thoughts, I want to encourage you, God is on your side. It's okay if you've seen a doctor. It's okay if you seek out medical treatment. We're not here to put you down or your faith down for that. We're just here today to tell you that God is with you and there is healing in Jesus' name. 
and all the research that I've been doing on fear, I've been studying the, the best of research right now from the medical doctors in these fields, and they're, they're coming. Uh, at one point, it was in, in the ancient days, it was if you had a mental distress, you had a demon, so everything was a demon. And then as we came into the enlightenment period, everything could be fixed with medication, just give you more medication. And that really led up into the 80s and 90s, just medicating everybody and, and everything. And now recently, the biggest breakthroughs that are coming in the mental field is seeing that it needs to be first a spiritual connection. There needs to be a grounding of your thought and mental life as well if needed medical help. But even now the doctors are saying that we just can't put people on drugs and say get better like we're fixing a broken arm. Mental distress has to be fixed spiritually on the inside of you. Can I hear an amen? So I want to encourage those who are dealing with that. And then the next word is dismayed. Everybody say dismayed. Thank you. The word dismayed that he brings up in that passage simply means to be discouraged. And so some of you here may be saying, Pastor, I'm not afraid of anything. Everything's good in my life. I don't uh, stress out very much. I don't worry very much. And that's great. But do you ever get discouraged? You see, because discouragement is another form of fear. It's not as strong as a fear, as a fright. It's not as strong as worry. But discouragement is a lack of trust in who God is and not believing that he has your best interests in mind. Because just think about that. What discourages you? What discourages you? Let's say you're single today and you're ready to mingle. And you want to meet somebody that's going to complete that part of you, right? Well, let's say after a year of being single, you've been coming to church. You're saying, God, I'm not going to the clubs. I'm not looking over here for the person to, to marry. I've been waiting for you and no one's here. And after a while, you begin to think to yourself, maybe they're not coming. Maybe I'll be a bachelor to the rapture. Maybe I'll be single all the way up into the trumpet sound, and then I'll marry Jesus, and that will be my husband or wife or whatever, you know, and that's the symbolic sense for the rest of my life because the Bible says we're all getting married again. Does everybody understand that? To Jesus, okay. It's symbolic, though. Praise God. Amen. You guys are a tough crowd on that one. You guys are a tough crowd. We'll just move right on. Boop, boop, boop. To the next subject, swiping that off the table. When we are single and we're ready to mingle and the person's not coming into our life, we can start to have an inner dialogue that says, I'll be single the rest of my life. And then what happens? We become discouraged. But when we back it up, we back up that discouragement. Where did it come from? Fear that God didn't have somebody for me. So you may not be afraid, like, oh, I'm afraid of stuff, but check your life and see if you have faced discouragement, because this word is for you as well, if you have. Here's the fear of the Lord. Everybody say fear of the Lord. It's a big subject. We've preached on it before, but I just want to summarize it here. It's an awareness of the greatness of God and that one day he will righteously judge the human race with finality, okay? He's going to judge us with finality. One day we are all going to be judged before God. Now, how does this play into the fears of the, and the phobias that we face in life? It, it relates to it because we should have a greater fear than all of our other fears that dominates our life. And so watch this. When I fear the Lord in the sense of knowing he's a great big God and he will judge me, I will not be afraid of what people think about me. 
See, because people who think things about me, if I let that bother me, that means I'm not letting God be the Lord of my life and the boss of my life. I'm letting their opinions be the boss of my life. So if after this sermon, I got to go check on Facebook, how did I do? See, that's the fear of man. And listening to your feedback on how I do and judging myself based on that, I have now become a man pleaser a seeker-sensitive preacher instead of pleasing the audience of one who is God. Are you tracking with me? So now if I fear God, I come here and I say, Lord, how did I serve you and how did I do with your people? Boss, you're in charge. You see, the fear of God eliminates my fear of man. And if I tracked you with every fear in your life, I could show you the fear of God will set you free from your fear. Now, I know sometimes people confess their fears to me, so if your fear comes up here today, don't think I'm picking on you. I'm just trying to come up with examples, okay? So let's say you're afraid to go skydiving, okay? And, and if right now I say we're all going skydiving, we got a bus in front, we've got a documentary crew, they're going to watch what happens when you take a Sunday in a whole church to go skydiving. Now, imagine you get to that place. And they start teaching you about skydiving. Now, first of all, some of y'all wouldn't even get on the bus. You'd be like, I'm gone. You'd be like, Pastor, I'm done. I'm not going skydiving. But let's say we all did it. Let's just say there's no good reason why you wouldn't go, okay? I got the bus. I paid for you to go. It's going to be fun. We got documentary cameras. They're going to see what it's like. It's a social experiment, how we're all going to react going skydiving. Let's say you go to the class and they teach you what's going to happen. There's going to be a tandem jumper. They're experienced. They're going to jump with you. They'll have the parachute on. They'll pull out the parachute. Everything will be safe. Some of these jumpers have had a 1,000 jumps, and they've been safe. Everybody say safe. Now, see, at this point, you're going to have to make a decision. Do I trust what I've been told, what I've been shown, or am I going to let an irrational thought dictate my behavior? Now, if some of you began at this moment to say, I'm going to die. I'm not getting on this plane. I'm not going with this person. They're lying to me. This is all a way to get me to die. You're letting your fear speak to you. But now watch. Let's say you feared the Lord. And you said, God, when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. See, I fear you. You're in control. And so if I've used wisdom and I've done all of this, I'm safer jumping out of this plane than going home in my car today on the expressway. Hello, somebody. I haven't heard of too many people dying from Skydive Chicago this year, but there were, was a death of a person who died right on my exit off the 90 on Beverly. They got hit and they got killed. You can look it up. An Uber driver got killed in an accident off 90 right by Beverly exit. See? You are more at risk of dying in that car today than you are going skydiving today. Are you guys tracking with me? You see, the fear of the Lord will break that off of your life because you'll say, my life's in God's hands. He's with me. I can do this. No fear can stop me. Now, here's where I left off last week, and I want to help you to see this. There's a difference between feeling fear and acting in fear. Everybody say there's a difference. Now, all of us, unless we are paratroopers and parajumpers for the military and 101st Airborne of the Army, we're all going to feel a sense of fear going skydiving, aren't we? If we all go up there, my heart's going to be beating. You put me on a heart monitor, my heart's going to be beating. I'm like, oh, let's do it, let's do it. But my heart's going to be beating. How many know my palms are going to be sweaty? My face is going to get wet, uh, white. You know, my wife said she's never seen me as white as I was, uh, uh, as white as she's ever seen me. She said was on a plane. We were on our way to Minneapolis, and the, and the, uh, the guy came over, the pilot came over the, the, the plane, and this is what he said. My wife said she's never seen my face this white. <laughs> Uh, we have a problem here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we can't get the landing gear down. 
Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to fly around a little bit here, and uh, my co-pilot's going to come out and try to manually let down the landing gear. So let's just be patient as he comes. We have protocols for this, but uh, we're just going to hope for the best. <laughs> when I looked at my wife, my face has never been as white. Sometimes it can get red. Sometimes it can get It was pitch white. Like, I don't even know what's the word, pitch white, but it was white, ghostly white. And then all of a sudden, you see, like, Captain Bob walking down the aisle with a crowbar. And I don't know what Captain Bob did, but thank God, in a little bit, we hear, well, that got some good news for you, folks. We got the landing gear down. We will be landing now. And I, woo, I was so happy. But, but you know what? That made me afraid. And then my wife said, she said, oh, this plane won't crash. There's babies on this plane. God won't let that happen. And then my fear speaking out, oh, yeah, the planes crash all the time with babies. That ain't going to stop nothing. This plane will crash right now with babies. And it was just my fears. And she was trying to hold on to one little thing, like, well, there's babies on the plane. But you see, once again, when we're most afraid, we turn to the fear of the Lord, which says, no, God's in control ultimately. See, God holds my life in his hands, and when it's his time for me to go, I'll go. So go back to this illustration. We would all be scared. Our hearts would be beating. But we all have been told the truth, that if we come up here, we can make it safely down there. And let's say you're like, no, I'm not going, I'm not going, and we start to go. And we get some of the crazy wild people to go first. Who would be the crazy wild one saying, I'm going first? Come on. So they're going first, and we're seeing them come down. Woo! They're coming out. Woo! And then we get you up there. Now we get you up there somehow because someone won't even get in the plane. But we get you up there. We tie you to that tandem person. We knock you out like they did on A-Team with B-A. We get you up there. Now you're right there at the edge of the plane, 10,000 feet up in the air. Come on. All the wind coming by you. All you see is ground and sky. Come on. At this point, you have a choice to make, right? Do I let my fear keep me from acting or do I step out in faith and believe the truth about what I've been told? It's the same principle for all things. It's when you drive across a bridge, you're trusting the bridge and those who build it. Are you not? When you drive across a bridge, are you checking the metal before you go on the bridge? Ah, hold on, let me just get out here real quick, check all the welding. Let me just check all the bolts. Let me make sure this metal is good. Put up the Golden Gate Bridge for me, please. I was fishing the other day, not the other day, but last year, uh, by the Golden Gate Bridge, and I was looking up as they were going across that thing. I'm like, that thing is high. I never realized how high the Golden Gate Bridge is. Has anybody ever been in the Golden Gate Bridge? You know what I'm talking about. It gets lost in the clouds. I mean, it's pretty high. So my wife, of course, wants to walk on the Golden Gate Bridge. So we're walking on the Golden Gate Bridge, and you can feel it sway a little bit as the traffic's coming by. You know, you know those trucks coming by, you can feel it sway. Now, as we're up there, am I, am I checking the metal? Am I checking the bolts? No. I'm putting my faith in the builders of that bridge. And I'm watching people go back and forth across the bridge. This is just in case you never saw the Golden Gate Bridge. Let's give it up for our guys for helping us out. Illustrations. Now, watch this. You're up here. You're in the plane. You've been told the truth. You can do this sky jump, this, this skydive. You, you've been told that. You've watched people come down. Now it's your turn. Some of you at this point would still not believe you could actually do it. Now let's just say we made you do it. I get right behind you, and I just go, boom, <laughs> and I send you launching out of that plane. Now some of you would be going out, ha! 
the entire way down. Ah, your eyes would be closed. That's how my wife, my, my wife rides roller coasters ah, the whole time. Am I telling the truth? we got pictures of this. They take a picture on the bull run there at 6. Ah, that's her picture. Everybody else is having fun. She's, ah. Okay, now watch. Now watch. What is the difference? What is the difference after you land and you see that you are safe now? Ah, you did all that. And the person who got, got to that plane and jumped out, woo, and had a good time. You see, both of you guys felt afraid. But one decided not to act in fear, but to act in faith. See, that's the difference between going through life ah, and going through life. Woo! See, we're all going to lose people in life. Death is one of the biggest things that we fear. We're all going to have economic hardships. You know that even billionaires lose money? If you don't believe me, look up billionaires' names. See them on Wikipedia. You'll see a green arrow going up if their money's going up or a red arrow going down. Samuel Adams, who, um, oh, the founder of Samuel Adams uh, Brewed Beer, said one of the hardest things for him, almost giving him a heart attack, is when his company went public and he would watch his stock go up and down and lose millions a day at a time. So you think it's easy uh, to be a millionaire. It's not because now you've got millions to lose. Hello, somebody, right? Everybody deals with financial stress. So the difference is how are we going to go through life? Are we going to go through life afraid, acting in fear, closing our eyes, screaming out, or are we going to go through life enjoying it, giving glory to God, living by faith? Everybody say faith. That's how God wants you to live. It's the opposite of fear. It's trusting him in the midst of your troubling situations. We're not saying that you won't face trouble. Faith doesn't deny troubling circumstances. Faith just says, I acknowledge the troubling circumstance, but my God is greater. My God is bigger. Amen. And thank you for that song selection today. Yes, let's give it up for the band and the, and the worship team. Amen. My God is greater, awesome in power. My God. I thought you were going to help me on that. You left me all by myself. You're just looking at me. Why is it? I don't know what was going through your mind, but I was wanting you to sing with me. That's what I was wanting right there. Let's look at a root of fear. How many want to know where fear comes from? If you don't, you're going to learn it anyway. Here we go. This is the root of fear. Now, I told you this from the beginning, that it comes from a broken hard drive, a broken system that we're living in. This is the reason why we need to be born again, because our bodies are dying. Sin has corrupted our physical nature, and your brain and your nervous systems are a part of a physical nature that's been corrupted by sin. It doesn't mean that you sin and that's why you have the physical problems that you have. It just means when we disobeyed God, we uh, had sin and the curse of sin come upon this earth. That means now in physical bodies, we don't have the full intention of God. That's why we're, uh, when we're reborn, we are then going to have to still die and be resurrected again. Did you ever think about that? How come once you're reborn, you just don't go to heaven and be perfect? The reason why you still have to die after being born again is because you have to shed this skin, this body, this brain. So when you think about where fear comes from, it comes from the same place sickness comes from. It comes from the same place addiction comes from. It comes from the same place that evil itself comes from. So don't have pet fears. Think of all fear as being a part of a broken hard drive. For example, some of you are afraid of snakes. But in the Garden of Eden, there was nothing to be afraid of. No snakes were supposed to be afraid. Matter of fact, the snake was talking, and they still weren't afraid. How many of you know if you saw a talking snake, you'd be afraid, right? 
Now, the reason that was is because the spiritual world and the physical world of Adam and Eve was so intertwined. It wasn't a big deal if a spirit animated his voice through a physical animal. So I don't want you walking around thinking snakes were talking the whole time like Mr. Ed the horse. But the idea was spiritual and physical were united together. They never saw a difference. That's why when they died, they didn't know they were naked because their physical body shone with the glory of God. Did you ever wonder why they didn't know they were naked until they sinned? It was because the glory of God turned off inside of them. They could see their body. See, like these lights above you, you can't read the label, you know, General Electric on it because the light is so bright. You can't see the dust in the light bulb. But if you shut off that light, you can clearly see the glass, the, the logo. Are you with me? And so that's what happened. So there was no fear until we sinned. And then when we sinned, there became animosity and fear between us and nature, us and animals, and us within ourselves. As a matter of fact, the first fear that man has is of God's righteous judgment because he knows he's done wrong. And the second fear right along that is his condemnation and self-guilt. When he hears God coming through the, through the garden, he runs and he hides. And, he, and God says, where are you, Adam? Now, obviously, God knows where he's at, but he's doing this for Adam's awareness to learn. God, has never asked, God never asked a question to learn. God does it so that we can learn. Are you listening? He asked Adam, where are you? And he says, I'm over here. I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked and I'm afraid. And then God says, who told you this? Who told you that? You see, right there, we see the first thoughts of condemnation, guilt, and shame, which are the root of many people's distress. Are you listening to me? And we also see the fear of God in not a good way, but in an unholy way where we run away from God in our problems instead of running to him. Listen to me. Not coming to church when you have problems is like not going to the doctor when you're sick. It only makes things worse. And coming to church is like going to the doctor to get the cure. The church isn't the cure, nor is the doctor, but he can give you the cure. That's why we gather together so we can give the, the cure of Jesus to each other and lift up prayers. Amen. So here it is simply, and I have the scriptures to follow, a sinful body with a corrupted hard drive. And this is why there's mental retardation. Now, once again, this doesn't mean people with Down syndrome of mental retardation have a demon or an evil spirit. The part of the brain is, is, is lacking the, uh, the, the, what it needs, the neurons, the, the chemicals to do what it needs to do. And that's why when we get older, Alzheimer's and dementia can happen. How many ever saw Notebook, the movie? Everybody go, oh. It's a good movie. And my uh, grandmother, she had Alzheimer's before she died. It's one of the saddest things you'll ever see in life, you know. I go to visit her. My mom is there. And my grandmother, she's always a proper Italian lady. And yet she has stains on her shirt from what she was probably eating with a straw. And uh, she, her hair is all messed up. And I've never seen her like that ever, you know. My Italian grandmother was the kind of woman that never got her hair wet. I don't know if there's any women like that. But she was old school. Never got her hair wet and never didn't have curls in her hair okay that's just the thing I remember about grandma but yet her hair was out of place her shirt was dirty she was just moving around you know just she couldn't sit still and my mom sits her down and she goes she goes grandma this is Joey this is your grandson and my wife will tell you she's never seen me cry like I did that day it just broke me in so many different emotional ways because I had never seen humanity come to its end like that have you ever visited someone in the hospital like that or in a nursing home and you see the end of humanity? You know what that is? 
That's a body that has been cursed with sin dying. Now, the good thing is, is that mind of my grandmother was still intact while the brain was decomposing. Her mind and her soul was separate from her brain. The brain goes into a grave and turns to dust, but her mind, her memories, her emotions, her will goes to heaven to be with Jesus forever. Amen? And one day, the Bible says she gets resurrected, a new body, so she can live with God forever on this new earth. Are you ready to be there? Look at somebody and say, you got a new body coming. It looks a lot better than this one, Bubba. I don't care how good you look now. Your new one looks a lot better than this one. Amen? Now, that's no excuses. We still got to keep this one in shape. Amen? Sinful body. Now, here's where it gets real. Everybody say it gets real. This is where it gets real because we all start with the same propensity to have fear and sin in our lives. But some of us start to choose our pet sins. And here's the thing you have to understand. Many of us start to choose our pet fears. Now, this is tough, but you got to walk with me through this. Sometimes the fear is a part of our environment, and we didn't choose it at first. Maybe you were neglected as a child by your family, and you grew up with that low self-esteem. But listen, at some part of your life, you will then choose that dialogue yourself. And this is where God now holds us accountable. And at the same token, he doesn't condemn us. He says it with love, that there's a choice. So let's say you grew up and your mother said, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're never good at anything. And then you grow up and you hear that and you start to believe it. If you hear God tell you, you're special, you're valuable, I love you, and you don't believe that, you know why you don't believe that? Out of pride. Now, you may say, I'm so hurt. It's so hard for me to believe that. But the biggest root in your heart at that moment is pride. You're saying, I believe I'm right about myself, and God is wrong. God says that he is with me, but I don't believe he is. God says, don't be discouraged, but I believe I have a reason to be discouraged. God says he'll strengthen me, but I don't believe God can strengthen me. What do we call that when you disagree with God? What do we call that, friends? Pride. Everybody say pride. And that's what leads then to our unbelief and to our fear. Because going back to that illustration with the plane, we don't believe when someone tells us, you can jump off this thing. We don't believe us. Uh, believe when they tell us that we can go back to school and get an education. We can fall in love, that God has a plan. How many married folks are in this room? Can I hear what, what? How many of you started off single? Amen. All of us, right? Hey, there's hope, single people. Married folks used to be just like you. See, what's the difference between a married person and a single person? It's not a dating hotline. It's not their friend hooking them up. The difference is, if they've done it the right way, that they waited for God to do what he said he would do. Amen. And so then we have these fears come out of our life. Now, when you look at Jesus, Jesus in the Bible doesn't talk like Dr. Phil. I know that Dr. Phil can give us good things, and there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not here to discourage that. I'm just here to say Dr. Phil will bend his knee to Jesus, and that all wisdom first bends its knees to Jesus. So there are things in the medical community with the mental life that doctors still don't know yet. They don't understand your brain. Your brain is more complex than all the computers of the world. You have more neurons firing electrical signals in your brain than there are electrical connections in this world. There's a connection here. There's a connection there. There are more conduits of electrical nervous systems in your brain, neurons, than there are connections for electricity in the world. Are you listening? 
It's a complex system. Even doctors, psychologists, and psychiatrists, and psychotherapists will tell you this. We're still learning about the brain. But there's somebody who knows everything about the brain. Somebody who created the brain. Someone that doesn't want to discourage you. Someone that doesn't want to put you down if you need medical help or any type of attention like that. I thank God that one of my good friends, she had a mental breakdown and stress in her life. And she was going through um, this hormonal change in her body. A lot of it was medical and they had to fix it. But it, it turned into a lot of mental dis dysfunction. But God set her free. She preached about it. She, you know, she became free. But she'll tell you, even in the midst of the doctors and all the medicine, it was still Jesus that gave her her hope. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so you have a choice now. In a sinful body, whether or not you're going to follow this pattern of fear or whether or not you're going to humble yourself and start believing and walking by faith. So what is the opposite of pride? The opposite of pride is humility. So God speaks to Joshua. Look at the Bible. You think there's a lot of scary things in the Bible? Did anybody read the Bible? Let's start there. Does anybody read the Bible? Okay, are there some scary things in the Bible? Okay, so let's start like with the real, like a scary thing like, like Joshua and Jericho. Okay, uh, Joshua, I'm going to send you to take over Jericho. All right, God, what are we going to do? You're going to march around it. Okay, God, then what do we do after we march? You're going to shout. And then what do we do, God? Then you're going to play a trumpet. You're going to play a trumpet, you're going to shout, and you're going to march. And that is how you're going to conquer a city of 10, 20,000 warriors. Now go for it. Now, how many of you would think that's not scary? I mean, how many of you would be scared to do that? That's a scary situation. This is how I'm going to go face my enemy. Let's go to ISIS right now and try that. Here we are, ISIS. We're just marching around your camp because we're marching around your camp. God told us to march around your camp. They were savages just like back then. Are you listening to me? Behead you, cut off your toes, your limbs, hang you upside down, burn you, are you impale you. We're marching around your camp because we're marching around your camp. Now get ready. We're going to shout really loud. Ah! You know. <laughs> now, do you think people were different back then? You would be scared. They're scared. But what did God say to Joshua? Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. I am with you and have given you this city. Now, some of you right here, you're like, oh, I could do that. God told me to march around a city. I could do that. Okay, let's go to Daniel and the lions then, tough guy. Let's bring you to the zoo and just throw you in there. How about this? How about we go, hey, do you want to spend the night at Pastor's house? Sure, I want to spend the night at Pastor's house. Okay, and I'm like, I give you my address, and it's Brookfield Zoo. You show up at Brookfield Zoo, and I go, this is where you're going to spend your night, right here. And you're like, with the lions? And, I, and I'm like, yeah. You're like, okay, cool, I'll be out here. And I'm like, no, I'm putting you in the gate with the lions. You're sleeping where they sleep in the lion's den. But they told Daniel, they said, Daniel, don't you pray no more. Don't you pray. And then you could just imagine Daniel. I know he was sassy. He was like, y'all don't want me to pray. No, don't you pray, Daniel. Don't you pray. We're going to throw you in the lions. You don't want me to pray. No, don't you pray. Now watch me now. Watch me now. This is how I think Daniel did. Watch me. Jesus, I'm praying and making these guys mad because I love you so much. And then what did they do? Throw him into a lion's den. What about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Fiery furnace. Could you imagine this? This is all fearful situations. But what is God speaking to them, to them in the midst of this? Don't be afraid. How much more can you face downsizing in your company? Jericho, downsizing. 
Jericho downsize. Which one do you think is a bigger thing? Probably Jericho and God was with him. He'll be with you. Why is it when we see sometimes the greatest uh, atrocities and fears, we also see the greatest courage? Corey Tim Boom talked about this. She was uh, the author of The Hiding Place. Her and her family hid Jews during the time of uh, the, the Holocaust in, in uh, one of these countries of Europe. Was it Germany or Poland? Anybody know where Corey Tim Boom was? Look it up for me, Ish. The Hiding Place. Look it up. It's a book, a movie, and all these things. And they would hide the Jewish people there. And these soldiers began to suspect that there were people helping the Jews. And they eventually found out that it was her family. And they got sent away to concentration camps. And I don't know if they died, but I know she survived a concentration camp for helping Jewish people. And then she had a call on her life to go to the other countries that were suffering persecution. So instead of getting out of that environment and running to Cancun, she spent the rest of her life after World War II and got free helping the persecuted church. And here's the illustration she would give them. She would say to all the persecuted places she would go, like how we've seen with Kenya and Egypt and, and, and Syria where these Christians die. She would go there and she would talk to the people and she would say this in her own words, but she would say something like this. I know all of you here may suffer for Christianity. You may die for your faith in Christ and you may feel so afraid right now that you can't lose your family. You can't watch your kids be killed because they kill the children as well. You're, you are so afraid right now. She said, but I want to tell you what my daddy taught me because we were afraid to help Jews during the Holocaust. My daddy taught me that at the time when we need the courage the most is when God gives it. And he told me an illustration about going to the, the bread store. Every day I would go to the bread store and get bread, and he would give me a nickel or 15 cents, and he would only give it to me at the door when I needed it. He didn't give it to me when I was sitting at home playing. He would give it to me right at the door and say, here's what you need to go do what you have to do. And what she said was in the midst of the most, uh, in the most craziest situations, the most horrific situations, God will meet you at the door of that time and say, here now is the courage you need to face it. Hello, are you with me? You're no different than the Christians of Kenya. When they went to the mall to look for the, uh, the university, they went, the Muslims, they went looking for Christians. And I'm telling you, if, if that happened today, they would find you. You wouldn't be ashamed. You would, you would, you would say you know Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus would give you the courage at that moment. Where, what, what country was she in? The Netherlands. Thank you. And did her family die in the concentration camp? Find me the end of that story as well. This is always impromptu preaching 101. How many like coming to church? You got notes and impromptu preaching. Amen? Vinny, would you come quickly because I want to end here. We have a scale of fear, and I think this is a, a good outline of it. And then I want to tell you how to practice your peace. Everybody say practice peace. You look at the root of fear, and you can look at the different fear-o-meter here. You start off here around worry, discouragements, all probably around here. Then you maybe start trying to control your situations. You know that control comes from fear? That's why a lot of people are afraid of flying. It's because you're not in control. You don't know what's going on unreasonable, going back to that idea of being on that plane and going skydiving, you would start considering all these unreasonable things while the people are telling you, no, you're going to make it, you're going to do it. See, fear has you believe things that are not reasonable, not true. The next thing is phobias. We start to create these environments. Uh, we start to um, remove ourselves from environments and things that we're afraid of. Spiders, elevators, birds, clowns, whatever. And then up here as we start to get into a place where we get uncomfortable in life and it can get a little bit serious is panic attacks. 
hyperventilation. We allow our physical body to take over. Isolation. Now we're embarrassed because, you know what, we get, we get panicky. Now we're not going to go for that job that we think we should go for. Because, you know, I, I, I panicked in the last interview. And then we get here to depression. And I, I'm not saying that all depression is linked to fear this way. But in this conversation, I believe a lot of it is. Because we start to get afraid of living. And some of it could be chemical. Like I said, you know, postpartum depression is real. There, there, there's help for that. And there's medical nurses here that can talk about that. But still, we got to do our part. We don't just give you a Prozac and say, here, take it. and You'll be all right. Here's Adderall. You'll be all right. No, we need to believe that life's going to get better. Are you with me? And then what happens is self-hatred. See, this gets to the, the real dangerous parts of fear. Is there something wrong with me? God must not love me. He must be with everybody else in that church because they were shouting and talking about how good God was, but I, I don't get that. I don't feel that. I'm still afraid. I'm still struggling. And then despair. I'll never change. This, this is always going to be this way. And suicide. I talked about it last week. Robin Williams committed suicide, suicide in our country. Seems to be unfathomable. Why would you commit suicide? You have money. You have this. You have doctors. But it's when the fear of living becomes greater than the fear of death. You don't want to keep living. You'd rather die. How many want to practice peace? Here's how we practice it. Number one, we get out of this cycle of fear. This comes from a non-Christian, so be careful if you get her book because I don't agree with everything in there. But one of Oprah's uh, guests here, had uh, Rhonda Britton, has a book called Fearless Living, which I got this illustration from, which I relate to as well. And I, and I believe diets work for Christians and non-Christians, right? Well, that's a non-Christian diet. I don't think it will work for me. How many know if you diet like a non-Christian, you'll lose weight, right? Because there's no such thing in the physical world of non-Christian Christian. It's all the physical. If we apply the same principles, we'll get the same benefits. Are you tracking with me, right? But a lot of people turn to yoga because they feel that that's their best hope. No, Christianity's been there, done that. We've got the answer. But check it out. There's a trigger. There's something in your life. It kicks off that fear. Anytime you hear about the economy, anytime you see that bird, anytime you get into that elevator, anytime, uh, you know, somebody hurts you, you get afraid that they're now going to reject you, right? There's a trigger. There's a, 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 a situation that happens, and then you have a fear response. And then out of that fear response, you begin to get that negative feeling, and now because you want to avoid that trigger, you start to do a self-destructive habit. Now, once again, not going skydiving is not so self-destructive, but it is in a sense of you're not doing the best thing for yourself. If we're all going skydiving and you physically can go skydiving and the only thing keeping you from skydiving is fear, you're destroying a life memory, a life moment. Don't allow things to take away from you. Right now, I didn't ask you to bench press a car. I didn't ask you to do a double backflip on a motorbike and at, you know, at the motor uh, track because there's things obviously you can't do. But I'm saying everything you can do, don't let the cycle of fear stop you because there is a cycle of peace that you can practice. Everybody say practice peace. You see, when you get to the point when you can recognize your triggers and it's good to start to recognize them, don't run from your fears, acknowledge your fears. God, I confess my fears. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what gets to me. 
This is what shakes me up. See, my mother had to deal with me as a rebellious teenager from 11 to 18. Part of that time I was running away from home, living in other places, and she got shooken up by fear. She had to stop that trigger, but she recognized that that's a trigger for me when I start going through my mind what's going to happen to my son. So what do we do as Christians? We then present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. God, here's this sinful body with the corrupted brain and hard drive. I give it to you. Set it on fire and make it a pleasing aroma in your side. I will make my body a slave to your will. I will take my body wherever my soul tells me to go. And Lord, keep speaking to my soul. Body tells me I want to sleep in Sunday morning. No, I'm not listening to my body. My soul must go to church and praise the Lord. Jesus, give me the strength to do all things. You ever heard that scripture before? I can do all things. That's not talking about getting a good spot at the restaurant you're going to, a parking spot. That's talking about facing your fears. You should be able to go into that job interview, even if you're nervous, saying, God, I can do all things. Facing downsizing, facing a, a broken home, broken marriage, broken relationship, I can do all things. I present my body to you. I won't let the nerves, I won't let the shaking, I won't let the voice inside my head stop me from serving you. You ever argue with yourself? How many here have ever argued with yourself? If you're alive, you have. Do you know we all argue with ourselves? Do you do everything your first thought tells you to do? How many men have learned to do that when it comes to lust, not listening to the first thought that comes into your head? Oh, you all get quiet on me now? Oh, you're going to get quiet. Okay, I see what kind of church we're going to be. We're going to pretend we're all perfect like we don't deal with this kind of thing? We got a body that's unperfect that deals with it. So let's be real right here. How many men have looked at women before and you had an impulse, a thought that you had to argue with? Women, how many of you, I'm going to make it a little bit stereotypical, women, how many of you ever had to deal with jealousy, bitterness, or unforgiveness, and you had to fight that thought in your head? Be real. How many women here ever looked at themselves in the mirror, and the first thing you thought was negative and not positive? I watched my friend do this before, and I wish I could do it right now, because we'll start dealing with fears. We'll get real, right? So get honest. My friend put a mirror in front of every young lady and said, write down what you see when you see yourself, you would be surprised how many young ladies, women, the moment they saw themselves in the mirror, I'm fat, my hair is bad, my nose is crooked. All they saw was negative because every day that's what they taught themselves to see. And then you know what he did at the end? He brought it up on stage and broke that thing and put up a picture of Christ and said, see Christ in you everywhere you go. Break the low self-esteem. Break the image of doubt and fear with the image of Christ and who he says you are and do what he says you can do. Amen? We stop that cycle of fear. We begin to pray and think on God. Have you ever tried to tell yourself to stop thinking about something? What happens when you tell yourself to stop thinking about something? You just think about it more. Like right now, red ball, red ball. Stop thinking about a red ball. Stop thinking about the red ball. I dare you to stop thinking about the red ball. Don't you think about a red ball. It's like, oh, I can think of this, me not thinking about a red ball. I see a red ball, then I see me not trying to think about a red ball. That's what it does. See, your brain is like that, right? That's what your brain does. So you don't try to ignore your fear. You don't just, oh, that's not, that's not there. You don't bury your fear because then it comes out in other ways. No, you replace it. So I call this practicing peace where you start practicing replacing thoughts. And men had to learn this with lust. You look at a woman, 
that's not your wife, do you feel that hormonal thing rise? Just bounce your eyes towards the road or wherever else you're at and start thinking about your wife. Start thinking, and if you weren't married, then we told you to start thinking about Jesus on the cross. Hello, that will stop you from wanting to think about sex at, at any moment, right? Jesus all hanging their blood coming down. You're not thinking about J-Lo anymore, are you? You're driving through Humble Park. Bum, 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 Oh, look at you, Bonita, senorita. Hear Jesus on the cross. No, that, that helps you. You've changed your thoughts, right? You've changed your thoughts. So we stop thinking about what we were thinking about. You have control over it, and, and it doesn't come easy at first, does it? It doesn't come easy to stop thinking about that bad day, does it? I'm not going to think about that bad day. I'm just going to let that bad day go. Well, they did kind of hurt me. They did say this. They did do that. Well, that's, you know, maybe I could do this. And you start trying to fix it, and all these things happen. You know what? God says replace it with prayer. God, you know that bad day, and God, I give you that bad day, and I ask you to heal me from the hurt from that bad day, and Lord, I speak your word over that bad day that it's going to turn for my good because all things work together for good for those who love you, and I'm going to keep speaking your word until all I hear in my mind is your word replaying. Amen? And then lastly, what do we all do? We do it and obey God. We do the things of our life without fear, even if we feel fear. So we do it without letting fear control us, rather. I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying something contradictory. We, I like what Joyce Meyer said again in this. She said, do it afraid. You know, the people used to say, fake it till you make it. But this is not something you're faking. If I'm going skydiving, I really am afraid. But I'm still doing it. I am afraid when I see my brothers and sisters suffering. You know the Pakistani bombing that happened in those churches? Our friends are there. Hopefully next week you'll meet one of our leaders of the Bible College that helped establish a place in Pakistan. She's from the Philippines. I would really like her to get to preach on fear because she'll blow your mind. She's a woman preacher, missionary from the Philippines, has her Ph.D., and is now in the Bible College helping establish Foreign Mission Bible College. You all with me? When you see Pakistan going on like that, I start to feel afraid for my brothers and sisters, right? But they're doing it, so I go, I'm not going to let persecution make me stop. Come on, somebody say amen. Would you stand to your feet today? Can you give God a hand clap of praise as he's given you peace? Thank you. Amen. We're not clapping for me. We're clapping for Jesus. Band, would you come? They're on the notes. Write them down if you want them. Recognize your triggers. Recognize those things that make you to be afraid. Write them down. Journal it. Number two, present your body to Christ. Don't, don't say, this is just the way I am. You know, as Italians, we're very uptight a lot of times. You know, sit down. You're making me nervous. Hey, you're making me ner like everything's. You're making me nervous. You know, that's how we grew up. My mom didn't talk like this, but it was always like you're making me nervous. Stop that. That's making me nervous. You know, that's how Italians would be. We're always a little uptight. Hey, oh, you know, we're uptight. Oh, well, that's just the way I am. I'm uptight all the time. No, no, no. In Christ, you're a new creation. Your body is your slave. Tell your body to start being relaxed and chill. Well, that sounds like yoga. No, that sounds like Jesus on a boat in the middle of the storm sleeping. That was before yoga became popular. Are you all with me? Jesus practiced the art of sleeping in the midst of storms. That's my Jesus. Amen. Number three, pray, think God's word, act on God's word. Here's some resources for you to get this week. It's going to be the same for the whole series. Got a lot of goodies up here. I want to end with this scripture and, and then pray for you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. 
If I keep my mind on Christ, he will keep peace in me. How do I practice peace in summary? I practice keeping my mind on Christ. In every situation, and some of our situations may seem small, some of them may seem big, but we'll get better at it as we practice it every day. I'm putting my mind on Christ. Would you do that right now with head bowed and eyes closed? Would you just put your mind on Christ? Isn't that one of the joys of coming to church? You get to set aside time to do this. It doesn't look weird. If you did this on your job, people might think you're weird, right? But we come here to put our minds on Christ, to worship him, to love him. Let's do those things right now. Just start with acknowledging any fears in your life. Acknowledge any triggers that you may have and just give them to God. Say, Lord, show me my heart. Show me if there's any anxious way inside of me. That's Psalms 139. Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any anxious way in me and lead me in the paths everlasting. Let's start right there. What things make you afraid? What things cause you to get nervous, to worry? And now number two, start to offer them up to God. Start to offer them up to God. God, I offer them up to you right now. These situations, I offer them up to you in prayer. I offer them up to you here in this church where you seem so big. Doesn't God seem so big here right now in church? You know, we're all together. Fear, what's fear? Oh, I'm in church. There's no fear, right? Doesn't it almost seem like that? Why do you get that kind of confidence in church? Almost like overconfidence. It's because you're around people. You're being encouraged. But you know what? You could deceive yourself and think it's all fixed unless you know how to live it when you go out these doors. So practice what you're going to do when you walk out these doors. Recognize your fears. Give them to God. And now just start to pray his word. Those books that I've offered you there have many, many scriptures in them. There's one website that has a scripture a day, 365 a year, to encourage you to fear not. There's over, over 360 promises in the Bible not to fear. You can go to a website and get them, but just pray right now. A, a scripture over your life. Come on. It's not the library. We can talk in here, right? I know Jesus knows our hearts, but let's encourage each other by the sound of our voices, praying against fear. Altar workers, would you come? Come on, here's some scriptures for you right now. The Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what he gave me. Here's another scripture right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you. How about another scripture? Fear not. Don't be discouraged. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Come on, speak some words of, of life over your situations. And then now lastly... Determine in your heart to face your fears in Jesus' name. Maybe just make a simple confession and say, Lord, I'm facing this tomorrow, and I determine not to let fear get in my way. Lord, I'm going to take on that job, that challenge, that new assignment, and I won't let fear get in the way. In 2008, 35% of all college-educated edu people were unemployed. This church median age is around 24, 26. A lot of you have been unemployed through this season since 08. Many of you are starting to find jobs, but they're out of your field, and you're getting discouraged. 
We had two people in our church apply for a job with over 40 candidates. Neither of them got it, right? This is the kind of world we're living in. But I want all of you in that uncertainty, in this world of economic downturn, I want you to say, Lord, I'm going to hand in applications this week, and I won't be afraid to let my dreams go beyond this economy. I'll dream again, God. I'll dream again, Jesus. I won't let fear take away my dreams. I'm moving forward. Come on, 30 more seconds before we leave out. I'm going to encourage a few more specific people. Your mother in here. Come on, you're a mother, and you know that your child's not serving the Lord. You're afraid. Many times, like my mother was, what will happen if Joe dies without knowing Jesus? And you get so afraid, you get so worried. I want you right now to say, God, I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep praying until you change my child's heart. You said that me and my household, we will be safe. Be encouraged today, Mother. Be encouraged. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. I love what one pastor taught me. Preach, pray, and plug away. Don't stop. Lastly, another situation God put on my heart is that some of you here, you deal with depression, you deal with anxiety, you deal with panic attacks. You've blamed yourself. Maybe you're going to a doctor. There are things that they're teaching you. Keep doing that. That's not going to distract from this. But you're starting to to hate yourself. You're starting to go into a cycle of low self-esteem. You know, there's something wrong with me. You know, God doesn't love me like he loves other people. I'm going to tell you right now, you are the apple of God's eye. He loves you. He cares about you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you every time you go to that counselor. Every time you're in bed by yourself, every place you go, he's with you. Believe this word right here. Lo, I am with you always until the ends of the age. Would somebody here receive that? Come on, tired, weary warrior. Would you receive that? You're not by yourself. The Bible says he'll make rivers in the wilderness. He'll turn deserts into pools of living water. Your desert right now can be transformed. God can change your situation. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. God is with you. Can I hear an amen? Would you look up at me before we dismiss? I prayed for you because I love you and I wish I could pray all day. But there's some mothers that got some cooking to do. Because I know even though it's Mother's Day, you're still going to cook. But I want you to hear me today. If you need prayer for many of us, we got prayer workers up here at this service, every service. And if you need somebody's number, just ask them. They'll talk to you this week. Amen. Can we hold each other's hand like a family? Come on, before we roll out here, I'm going to have my big brother pray for this family. Would you pray to bless all the mothers today and all that we do in his name? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the body of Christ, Lord. We ask for your blessings upon every mother, Lord God, that as they go out and just have gatherings together and and share life together, Lord, that your peace, your joy, your love will be abundance, Lord God. We thank you, God, that you have set us free from fear. In Jesus' mighty name, bless this day. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. Woo! Come up for prayer if you need it. Otherwise, enjoy your day. Come on, we're going to sing a song.